welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you again, especially in this uh, conversation centered around John 10.10, 10, Jesus' promise that he would come and that he would bring us abundant life. Uh, and Jesus is not just talking in abundance about life that goes on and on, although it includes that. He's talking about life of a qualitatively different time, not, not just a quantitatively, but a, qualita- a different kind of life, life that you were built for in the first place, life of the age both to come and that has come in Christ. And uh, as, a, as a way of looking at that over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about uh, what a, a life, a soul, filled with this abundance looks like. What, what does it what does soul life in, in full freedom look like? Uh, and kind of to get the frame on that, we're going to go back over some familiar territory uh, and look at what life was built for and looked like to begin with. Uh, today, particularly, we're going to go back to uh, probably a text that, you know, given that we're 10 years old and that We've been looking at these things for a long time. You've obviously been in this text before. I'm going to kind of make some assumptions about familiarity with the story because I want to circle a little bit maybe deeper than we have in previous conversations uh, in terms of the nature of the soul and what that means. And then over the next several weeks, we'll be uh, delving in in uh, kind of uh, 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 spirals down into the into the core of this uh, over the next uh, like I said over the next several weeks. So this is going to sound the text we'll look for. Are, uh, I myself have used them not that long ago. However, whenever it's the word of God, we ought to expect it to keep unfolding, uh, and so it's one of those this morning. So we're going to look at uh, Genesis one twenty six. Uh, the story of how you came to be, and we look at it in the um, uh, first chapter, Genesis 26th verse, God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created humankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. You will know that in this first account, first story of creation, God's speaking actualizes things. It brings them into existence. God says, and they become, right? So there is, in Hebrew, the Hebrew word here is davar, D-A-B-A-R, if you want to uh, uh, transliterate it, and it's a word that is both used to, to, to talk about speaking and to talk about doing. To say and to do are the same thing for God. We have found ways of teasing them apart. We have found ways of saying things that we don't actually do. God hasn't figured that out yet. <clears throat> um, and we, we need to unfigure it out, right? We need to bring back our speaking and our doing so that they are together, 
So when God says something, it's actualized. Something occurs. It's the doing in the speaking that we, we have here. So when we get to the sixth day of creation and God wants to uh, bring it to a thundering, glorious conclusion, the apex of his creation, he, he looks at the, 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 the Elohim, the counsel of God, um, in, 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 at the Trinity active, if you will, in the first story, and he said, let us create humankind to be our image, to be our representative, to be our uh, anchor on the earth, and let them exercise appropriate stewardship, let them exercise appropriate care for the planet. This is not dominion as in uh, uh, a slave ownership. This is dominion as in, as in stewardship, as in responsible care. And we're going to develop this over the next several weeks. Next week particularly, we'll talk a little bit more about what it means for us to be a steward who will give an account for the care that we exercise of the planet, right? As well as the part of the planet that is us. What does it mean to be a good steward of our own lives, to be a good steward of the gift that God has given us in us? Uh, but that's next week. This week, we're just looking at this idea of God's speaking, let us create humankind to be our image, and in that moment, to reflect us, to be our likeness in, in expression, to do, as you will, what we would, would do were we on the planet because we will be on the planet in them. So the first thing that we need to recognize is that you are sitting here this morning, feel like, like it or not, a spoken word of God. So you can never not hear God's voice. You are, in no small measure, the outcome, the product of God's voice. You exist because God's word resonates out to, in time to eternity. With me? So that's, that, that's huge. We could quit right there and just, I'm not going to. I want you to get your money's worth. But I, 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 I want you to sit with that for a minute because if we don't get that right, we will believe that we will have to respond to every other word that is spoken to and over us. This is the word that becomes the plumb line, if you will. It becomes the measurement. It becomes the way by which we evaluate the authenticity of each and any other word that is spoken. So this idea, and by the way, while we're at it, we should probably say, who is this God who is speaking? And John tells us that this God who is speaking you into existence is love. God is love. Now, please notice, not love is God, because we get that upside down and we create idols of all kinds of things. But God is love. God in his essence, in his expression of who he is or who she is, is love. Which means at core that you are sitting here today, a particularly lively expression, well, more or less lively, it's nine o'clock, I mean, uh, of, of God's love. Now, that's going to become really important in the second third 
of the sermon, but if I want to let that sit for just that second, all right? So you are an expression of God who is love, and you are aligned into love. And now the other piece of that, of course, is that our alignment is we are created to be the image of God that is male and female. So God's not male, God's not female, but his image is male and female. That is to say it is a, a it takes all of us in collaborative, cooperative, relational community to be the image of God. So you are not the image of God, but you are part of the image of God. So, so when you fail to be fully yourself, as you are, in your particularly lively pile of love, moving around, the image of God is to that degree compromised on the planet. Anybody wanna look around and see what compromised image of God produces on the planet? So, so this, this idea invites us into this collaborative, cooperative, relational community because I need you to be you so that I can be me, so that together we can image God effectively, appropriately. And please notice the same love that, is the, that results in us our existence is exactly the same love that we ought share with our brothers and sisters. So as soon as we slide into competitiveness, as soon as we slide into competition, as soon as we slide into comparative ways of thinking and being, we start to lose track of the unique love of God that is us. You, you will never be yourself by trying to be somebody else. All right? So, so that's the first foundational piece, and, and it's a critical one as we go through this. The, the, the rest of planetary creation depends on us getting this right, on us remembering it. So important is it that there is a second story of creation that makes even more explicit the nature of humankind and how it orients itself, how it relates to the rest of the planet. Chapter one, humankind is created last. It is the crown and glory, the, the, the ceiling of the rest of, of creation. In chapter two, humankind is created first, and the rest of creation is formed for the purpose of supporting the life of this being. All right, so in chapter two, we just put one verse, just one verse, the Lord God formed a man of dust, from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Two things real quick. Uh, I don't have time to develop this as we did here three or four weeks ago. You can go back and listen to any of the podcasts or going forward because uh, Darren and I are gonna cover this over the next little while. In him... This man, this, this, this being that was created, both genders were present. And God will say, it's not good to be undifferentiated, to be alone. So God will remove the woman aside from the man, close up the flesh at that point, and make a woman from the, man, from the, from the side that she, he has taken from the man. So now we have gender difference that enables humanity, that invites us into a Genesis 1 expression. You, you, how are we doing? 
You hanging in there with me? Okay? Because this, this, this is, this is um, we've talked a little bit about this before, and you can, I'm making some assumptions. If you want to go into this, uh, we can. However, it's not the thing I really want to talk about. So, um, but it, it's critical that we, that we get the same piece that was uh, important in chapter one uh, is important in chapter two. Uh, we, we are built for oneness. We are, we are now, now, instead of God the poet, chapter one, we see now God the potter getting his knees dirty, getting dirt under his fingernails, that dirt which eventually becomes us, becomes you. And then God forms that being and, and breathes into that being the very breath of life. So we have these two components, this, this dirt and the breath of God, this deity and the breath of God, dust and deity. And those two elements coming together is you, is you. Physical and spiritual together becomes a living being. The Hebrew word here is nefesh or soul. So you have a body, but you are not your body. You have a spirit, but you are not spirit. You don't have a soul first. You are a soul first. Soul is the most, um, the, uh, the, who you are at depth. Now, I w- I'm going to shift this just a little bit from our language because in my working on this over the last uh, week and a half or so for this Sunday, I came to understand that I've been saying this thing a little bit wrong. And that is to say this, you you not only are a soul, but you also have a soul. That is to say that there is something about you, soul, that requires coordination of the system. And that thing is also your soul. So it's that central operating system, the OS of your soul is also called soul. So you are a soul and you have a soul that coordinates the operations of the whole being. And that soul is comprised primarily of physical and spiritual, right? The, 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 the material world and the spiritual world are joined together. We are built. Remember Genesis 1, we are the image of God or part of the image of God. We serve an intermediary role. We serve as God's representatives on the planet. So we represent, if you will, the spiritual realm to the physical realm, and we represent the physical realm to the spiritual realm. Chapter two, what are we? We are equal representatives of both realms, physical and spiritual. So we are ideally suited for that thin space in between material and physical, I mean, and, and spiritual, right? So, so we are intent, now, now, now here's the problem. This is gonna constantly be held in tension. And, and, and anybody feel the pulls in either direction? We do all the time, all of our lives. And there's no way, by the way, that we should try and resolve the tension. We are constantly going, you will always have a body. Always. As you get older and pass from this kind of life to the next kind of life, your body will likewise make a transition. 
and you will have a body in the age to come that's more appropriate for that kind of life. It will be very, very similar, Paul tells us, to the resurrection body of Jesus. A spirit body. So astounding will that body be. Paul says, this body that you're in right now will appear to be a seed, a brown seed, which when sown into the ground produces that glorious body that will be appropriate to your life in the age to come. That it will be connected, but it will be so radically other as to wonder how in the world did I get here from here, right? This is why dying is so important. I need you to sit with that because we live in a culture that resists dying in all and any of its forms and it is the only way to the kind of life you were built for. To die is to live. The seed falls into the ground and dies. If it doesn't, it remains alone. If it does, it springs forth to life of the new age, life eternal. So this soul, physical and spiritual, ideally suited for the thin space in between uh, to represent the planet before God and represent the planet, or God to the planet, kind of this intermediary role, or can I use the language intercessory role? For those of you who are feeling the tug into prayer ministries, this is precisely what you were created for, to serve in this intercessory role, to call out to God on behalf of a planet that is longing for justice to be accomplished. And the intercessor prays for mercy instead. All right? So now that, that's, that's, that's just that, that idea of Genesis 2. Now, these two pieces, primary, are each yielding uh, together a, a secondary um, um, uh, set of characteristics that we'll talk about. Um, physical is the primary. Spiritual is the other primary. They produce then social our interrelationships with other people, intellectual, the way we objectify and process and assign meaning and value to uh, the world that we live in, and then the emotional, which serves as, the, as kind of the, the regulatory dashboard that signals health in the system. So all of these aspects are really important. We're going to be subdividing them and talking about them as if they existed independently but even as we do so, it's critical that you realize that in order to be you, you cannot separate any of those five elements from any of the other five elements. You are a whole being with all five components. There is a tendency in our culture, and particularly even in the Christian culture sometimes, to focus in on one or two of those aspects to the neglect of the others. As long as I'm, my spiritual life is healthy, my emotional life doesn't matter. No, you can't be emotionally healthy or spiritually healthy without being emotionally healthy. That's why we do the emotionally healthy spirituality. That's why we do it and invite you into that, right? Because, because your whole being works together. The soul that you have coordinates the soul that you are 
in managing all of this. So for example, memory doesn't just exist in your brain. It exists in your being. Your body remembers things. Your brain, if you will, has delegated to your body uh, certain behaviors, certain activities. Most of you, I'm guessing, when you drove here today, if you drove, uh, were very, very thankful that you didn't have to think about driving all that much because your body had been trained, it had been delegated to that task. Now that sounds odd until you start to think about what it's like to sit with a first-time driver. <laughs> you ever done that? Sit with somebody who, for the very first time or second time, is behind the wheel trying to remember what everything does and what they're supposed to do in response to that. That's why they have student driver on the back of those cars. <laughs> so those of us who are not student drivers know what to expect, right? Sooner or later, you want all of those thoughtful processes to be delegated to the body so that it operates without thinking about it out of knowledge that is embodied. This is the nature of the training of the soul towards righteousness. I want to be good without thinking about it. I want to have my body trained, the muscle memory of my soul trained, for example, in thanksgiving. I want the autonomic response of my body, my soul, to be gratitude. How does it get? Well, I have to think about it first. But over time, as you think about it, it starts to encephalize. It starts to become part of the structure of your being. It starts to become part of the autonomic response system. So that when life happens, as, as it tends to at about 60 beats a minute, it comes at you. Anybody else have a slower? No, it comes at you pretty quick. Everybody's still with me? We track along, okay. When you, you don't have time any more than a student driver does to process all of the information coming at the pace that it's coming. So I want to have, I want to have a muscle memory that has been trained by Thanksgiving so my first response to anything coming my way is to offer it up with Thanksgiving. I don't have time to evaluate whether it's good or bad because the next thing's coming about another beat right after it. Anybody have a life that's moving too fast for you to keep track of? So you want a muscle memory that has been trained to thanksgiving, and your soul will delegate, if you will, to that muscle memory, that, that purpose. So the holistic piece is what we're after here. Even though we're gonna talk about them in discrete parts, it's critical that we recognize that they're all uh, combined and that the soul, the, 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 the soul, the sum, is greater than the total of the parts. It's not if you take physical and add spiritual and add emotional and add social and add intellectual, you equal the soul. The soul is bigger than, than the sum of the, of the five parts. And we need to have, because there, it functions in, in, in multiple dimensions, uh, at, at any given space and time. So we need to have that awareness. All right, so 
that's, um, that's, that's the, the kind of key, key thing that we wanted to sit with. Here's what I want to finally get to. Because, chapter one, God is love, you are a word spoken in love. Because, chapter two, you are filled with, even now, the very breath of God, God resides in you now. You don't have to go somewhere and look for him. Paul says this very, he's not above, you have to bring him down, he's not, no, the word is near you even in your heart. That's why often the best and fastest way to find God is to hold still. Not to be pursuing, not to be running. Because inevitably our running is distraction from God who is with us and in us. You are filled with the, a, a, a beautiful image I heard yesterday. Every soul before it's born is kissed by God and spends the rest of life looking for the lover. That's Genesis 2. That's Genesis 2. Everybody else is hearing that, right? Okay. One of these days it's going to be trumpets and I'm out of here. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's really cool. But uh, today, today we continue. So, oh. now what that means, again, again, and again, 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 you are built for love from the inside out. You are built for love from the outside in. You exist in a universe that is love. You exist in a world that is aligned to love. We have bought the lie that it is hostile and oppositional to us. We need to remember what is deeply, most profoundly true about us and about everybody else on the planet. We are deeply, truly, passionately loved by the king and creator of the universe, and that is why we exist. It is a, uh, spoken by love. It is formed by love. It is inbreathed by love, and only love can see the soul as it truly is. This is why next week we're going to talk about how important it is that as part of the stewardship of your soul, you love the you that God loves. Because if you and God disagree, you're wrong. <laughs> right? And because and, and and he, he knows something, that the only way to fix what you think is broken is to start from loving that thing that you think is broken. So love is the foundation. We have, we have, 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 have been built that. It's the environment within this, which the soul thrives is most alive. We need to notice, however, that when, love, when, when, when the soul gets sideways to love, it receives the, 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 the same flow of the river of love, but often is oppositional, and it can become confused that it's not loved. When bad things happen, for example, we become confused because we mistake authentic love that's rooting our being for giving us what we want when we want it. 
But if you've ever had a child, you know how dangerous and damaging that can be. That's not love. God is a good, good father. So sometimes we will experience his love as wrath. Because God will go against, if you will, the very thing that undermines his love for us. We won't experience, we won't, we won't experience it as love. You, you, you know what I mean? Well, it, it, but it's like the image I've used here before is if you're, if you're canoeing down a fast-flowing river or, or, or stream and, and you're heading in the direction of the flow of the stream, you receive the flow of the stream as blessing. But if you get sideways to that stream, it's, it's still flowing. And if you try and head back upstream, you receive the flow of the stream as oppositional to you. Think of the love of God as the stream. If you're heading in the direction of love, you will receive the love of God as blessing. If you get sideways to love, or if you are oppositional to love, you will receive the same flow of love as oppositional, and you will experience the wrath of God, which is nothing more nor less than the love of God. You, you see? This is why Genesis 3 where we decided not to believe that we were loved, that God was holding something back, that God was in some way, shape, or form uh, uh, not trusting us with our life rather than protecting us so that we could live. This is why Genesis 3 ends up with this uh, deeply damaging uh, 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 revelation because the soul is... Um, uh, the uh, soul is built for an environment to love. Genesis 3 gives us a snapshot of what happens when we get sideways to love. We don't trust the protective restriction that love placed on, it, on us to allow us to grow to maturity and capacity. And when that defining alignment, remember my kite string illustration, when, when that kite string is broken, we become this trash in the quest for freedom, we become trash blowing in the wind. Right, uh, So with that defining alignment, the center gives way and the edges begin to vibrate. And you will, be, you will find what happens when that center gives way as in each of those five dimensions, brokenness occurs in varying ways. Um, and and, and that, that, that probably leads to what, we've, what I've suggested before are, is the most... Um, a frightening phrase in the entirety of Scripture, where God comes seeking fellowship with his creation, having spoken us into being, having formed us in love, knowing that we need love in order to be human, comes to love us and can't find us in the story. Where are you? Well, that's a very good question. And again, we'll say it again and again, whenever God asks a question, it's not so that he can acquire information. When God asks a question, it's so that we can look in the mirror. Where am I? And where we are is hiding behind a tree, clinging to it with our hands hanging tight to the tree of our false protection. Why? Because we're afraid. This is what happens when you get sideways to love. Now here's, here's the hard part. 
The only thing that will drive out fear is love. But if you're afraid of love, you hide from the very thing you need. Do, do you see how it works? So, because here's the deal, we're afraid. Can we just establish that for the record? We spend so much of our life trying to pretend we're not, but at the core of our being, we're afraid. You will either hide in fear from God, or you will hide in fear in God. This is the way of life, because love drives out fear. This is the way of death. This is the way of death. And you, you've noticed this. The, 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 the more you give in and surrender to the fear, does your world expand? No, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller to that which you can control, that which you can manage, that where you feel safe, or that where you can bluster your way through to pretending everything's okay, or micromanage everybody else so you feel better, right? And inevitably, your world gets smaller and smaller and tinier and tinier. You're not built for that. You're built for wild and grand adventure. You are built then to courageously face fear and come out from behind the tree of your hiding, whatever it is, and say to the lover of your soul, here I am. I am so sorry. I screwed up. What is love going to do? Love is going to embrace you and say, good for you to notice, let's get back on track. That's what love does. I mean, I've got a, a, a little a granddaughter. We, she stayed with us overnight for the first time last night. So cool, nobody died, it was a great night. Yeah, have you ever had a little kid stay? I, I forgot, as a dad, I forgot. And, and here's this little girl, my son and daughter-in-law are trusting her to us. I'm in there every hour making sure she's still breathing and everything's okay, everything, right? But now here she, here she comes down the stairs, she wants to hold my hand coming down the stairs. I'm a big girl, she's 18 months. I don't want you to carry me down the stairs. I want you to hold my hand down the stairs and when we get to the bottom of the stairs, I want you to let go of my hand because I can handle it from here on out. It's an amazing thing. So what do you do? You adjust your pace to the 18-month-old, you don't say, girl, come on, we've got breakfast. <laughs> God will adjust his pace. That's what love does to the ones who come out from hiding. Right? He invites us into this, into this wonder of love because love is the only thing Love is the only one who knows us fully. And it is being loved that we become real. You've heard the story of, of the, the, the horse uh, in the play, uh, play, play pen that is loved until the mane wears off and the tail falls out, but is loved into reality. I want to um, finish with a, a quote. Oh, maybe one, one quick thing. God cannot 
and will not love the false self because it's not real. God only deals in is. Not what could have been, should have been, wished to be. God only deals in reality. So the false self becomes a barrier to the love of God and therefore has to die. That's why Jesus said, when you come, bring a cross. You're gonna need it pretty much every day. Why? Because he wants to kill you? No, he wants to kill what's killing you. He wants to get out of the way the things that are, are preventing you from being loved in the way that lets life spring forth. Okay? So here's the quote. I, I rarely ever do this, as you know, but I love this quote by Henry Nouwen, and he says it so much better than I ever could. He says this. At issue here is this question. To whom do I belong? God or the world? Most of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than I do to God. A little criticism makes me angry. A little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits. A little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or push me down. I'm like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance, preventing myself from being tipped over, from drowning, shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. And not a holy struggle, an anxious struggle that arises from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. And as long as I keep running about asking, do you love me? Do you really love me? I give all power to the voices of the world and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says, yes, I love you if you're good looking, if you're intelligent, if you're wealthy. I love you if you have a good education, a good job, good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, buy much. There's endless ifs hidden in the world's love. Those ifs enslave me since it is impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is and always will be conditional. As long as I keep looking for my true self in the ifs of the world's conditional love, I will remain hooked to the world trying failing and trying again. It is a world that fosters addictions because what it offers cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart, the remembrance of the kiss. So, the way the soul is restored is the way of love. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, as an indicator of the love of the Father for me, the love of the Father through me for you. This same creative word at the beginning, this embodied love of God in knowing him, Jesus becomes the way to life through 
the truth about who he is and who you are in him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.